You are invited to a very eerie undertaking on Saturday at midnight. That's when Phantasm, the most terrifying movie of all time, will have one special preview. Phantasm, the film that puts the fun in funeral. And as for a fiendish story, it does have a burial plot. Come prepared to scream, because if this one doesn't scare you, you're already dead. Phantasm from Avco Embassy Pictures. Rated R under 17, not admitted without parent or guardian. That's that's so out of place. It looks like Blackula in whiteface. Radio Drome. It's Thursday night. It might be a 1979 Thursday night. I'm not sure. I'm Josh Hadley. With me, who's back, is Cecil T-H-E Robot. It took me a minute there to feel. I'm like, what's T-H-E? Oh, the. (laughs) Is more like it, huh? Yeah, I need need more caffeine. Uh, Yeah, I'm back. Yay. And the original bro zerker himself, Peter Gajic, is back. Oh, what a rush. <laughs> there you go. All right, you guys have been off for nearly a month. Peter, can you remember the Adam and Eve promo? Can you do it? I might be able to. Has it changed at all since then? I don't know. Go uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. All right, I'll wing it. If you go to Adam and Eve dot adamandeve.com uh and you use the promo code drome uh you can get yourself some some free stuff some perks uh you can get yourself six free dvds a mystery gift a gift for him and a gift for her all by using the promo code drome on adamandeve.com and this only applies to u.s citizens so if you live in mexico north that's where i'm from canada you can't get it but if you're in the good old u.s of a go down to adamandeve.com use the promo code drome and get yourself some free shit Tonight, we're going to be going back to our years thing, 1979. Now, I had forgotten until I started researching this just how good of a year 1979 was for film. This was a fantastic year for film because mm-hmm. you, you had a couple of things happening at this all at the same time. The blockbusters that had been started by Jaws and then reinforced by Star Wars were really starting to kick into gear. You had the whole science fiction boom starting, which as we'll see by 1984 is in full swing. Everybody wanted a sci-fi movie, which prior to Star Wars, nobody wanted to touch a sci-fi movie. The 80s were coming. Anyone who wasn't alive in the late 70s doesn't realize how the late 70s, 78 and 79, were all about how awesome the 80s are going to be. So yeah. you had these th- these things all coalescing to create a really kick-ass year in film. 1979 in film. What what movies jump out at you? Well, I mean, the obvious one being Alien. Uh, it's just uh, what a freaking revolutionary movie. Uh, just amazing in every possible way. That's a huge one. Um, the first Star Trek, uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture, Mad Max, which I know, you know, technicality and all that. Technically, Mad Max is not 1979 for us because it didn't come out in America until 1980, so that's a technical. The uh, Amityville Horror, um, uh, Escape from Alcatraz, which I... Actually, it's funny. With Escape from Alcatraz, I 
did not see until probably sometime in like the late 90s. And I was just like, holy crap, this is an amazing movie. I just, you know, missed it for whatever reason. But uh, yeah, a lot of really awesome things. Yeah, nothing. uh, Oh, the black hole, too. Disney getting really kind of crazy. And of course, Phantasm. You cannot overlook the awesomeness that is the original Phantasm. Well, 1979 featured some of my all-time favorite movies. I mean, you got The Warriors, Mad Max, and Alien, and Rocky II, which uh, I consider to be one of the best in the series. Lots of other, like one of the one of my favorite sort of you know Z-grade, B-grade monster movie flicks, uh, Prophecy, the the mutant bear movie that went on to be the uh, inspiration for Man Bear Pig, like. Lots of really cool stuff. Uh, you know, Salem's Lot, Escape from Alcatraz, Apocalypse Now came out in 79. So easily some of the most uh, career-defining and also era-defining or genre-defining and era-defining films that would define the 80s. Like, like Alien would be such a huge stepping stone for the kind of science fiction we would uh, start seeing. Uh, Mad Max would open up the floodgates for, you know, all of the Italian exploitation Mad Max uh, ripoffs. Same with uh, the Warriors, which would, you know, give us stuff like Bronx Warriors. And, you know, Mad Max gave us like 2019 after the fall of New York and Warriors of the Wasteland and all this, this really, really great shit. And also a lot of really weird like uh, Caligula came out that year too, and that's another that's another great little little oddity that became one of my favorite movies ever. So I think um, seventy nine definitely stands as as to me one of the most defining years of movies that came out that really made me a, a film fan. Let's start with Alien. Is the Jaws and the Star Wars of this particular year? Alien changed everything. The same way Star Wars changed everything, the same way Jaws changed everything. Those two movies are also two of the movies where Roger Corman was saying, oh, shit, the studios have finally caught on to our formula, but they're doing it bigger, better, and more expensive than I ever can. (laughs) And Alien is the one that he probably used more than any other. He made more Alien knockoffs than he did Star Wars or Jaws knockoffs, Mm -hmm. because by that point, the technology had started to advance because Alien, you never once questioned that you were watching something real. That was a physical monster that was interacting with these people. Alien is so brilliantly directed. It is so brilliantly made. It's almost quintessentially 79 while being timeless. Because think about Alien for a second. Nothing happens for the first 48, 40, for 48 49 minutes, but you are never bored at all. That's a very 70s kind of slow burn concept. And the movie looks, other than Sigourney Weaver's hair and panties, the movie is not dated to 79 at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you got the whole retro technology and analog future kind of thing, but I don't consider that necessarily dating it. Yeah, it's always felt very, very modern to me. And it's always held up even from the first time I saw it as a kid to any time I sit down and watch it now. It's a, it's a timeless film. Yeah, I I agree. It it does not look uh, dated at all. Um, The technology and everything, it's it's just that's the future that they went with. It's not like when you're watching a movie and uh, they pull out some just cheap plastic piece of junk that's obviously some just prop. Like everything in this looked like it was something that could legitimately be used. And I liked that they weren't, uh, you know, in the first one, I realized they went in the direction of like the military with the second one. But the first one, they were just a bunch of like blue collar workers that, you know, this is what the future is. They're going out and doing a job. And this is what a lot of, you know, the work would be in the future. 
they run into this thing that they they can't even deal with. So they're kind of stuck. And that's what makes it crazy and scary is that mm. it's all of them versus just this one thing. And they don't have, you know, uh, they don't have guns and all this other stuff. They just have like whatever gear they have around the ship to fight against it in their own wits. And that mm. made it even scarier. I just I love the movie. And the other thing, too, is. I know uh, what you mean when you're saying that, like, nothing happens in the beginning, but really... I think that it, that is a very much lost art because so many movies now do the they'll show you what happens an hour into the movie and then they're like three days ago and then you know they'll go into like this so it's like look something really exciting is going to happen instead of letting the audience build up to that point the whole you know nothing happens stuff is happening it's just it's not the you know the alien isn't attacking them and everything but it's still interesting and I think that that is something that's really lost is that they they don't understand that if they if you uh, care about the characters and you learn about them and you kind of get interested in the story that they're trying to tell, then when shit does go wrong, you care that much more instead of just rushing into it and having people being a bunch of cannon fodder, which is uh, kind of what happened with the uh, some of the later alien movies. I absolutely agree. And this year was a big year for science fiction in general. Because not not only Alien, but you also brought up earlier the black hole. The black hole was a monstrous bomb. I want to talk about some of the big bombs of 79 later. I applaud Disney for attempting to get into the live action sci-fi genre. They had dominated animation and kids films. I mean, Black Hole is still kind of a kids film. I mean, it's hardly very, not very violent. There's no sex or anything. The Black Hole was their attempt to compete with Star Wars. And it didn't really work. And I'm not sure why. It was an interesting concept. It had a great cast. It had a great look, great effects, great style. Yet somehow none of these things gelled into really being a good movie. It has great moments, I think. But it's not a good movie for some reason. Uh, I really like The Black Hole because it's so... What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, they're, they're attempting to do so many Grandiose. different things. It's grandiose. Thank you. Grandiose is the perfect way to describe it for a Disney movie. Like people forget that this is a Disney movie and it's dark. It's really dark. Uh, I mean, for crying out loud, Maximilian rips out the, the one scientist's eyes and embeds them into his head at the end. Yeah, I mean, at, at, at one point, doesn't Maximilian kill Norman Bates by like running a fan blade through his back or something? I believe so. Yeah, because because he has all those different. He's like a Swiss Army knife, you know. Well, him and and Vincent and Old Bob, they all have all the different you know uh, tools and stuff. And yeah, I'm pretty sure he's got like a saw blade. It's been a while since I've seen it, but yeah, I think he he. Now they don't really go into it, but it's heavily implied. And uh, still, for a PG movie put out by Disney of all things, uh, I think the effects are are brilliant. Um, the the ships are just amazing looking. I mean, some of the compositing you can really see now, but back then uh, it was just incredible. And uh, it I, I do agree with you to a certain extent. I think that it does get unnecessarily slow in parts and it does kind of bog things down. But I just appreciate it for what it is. I think that it is really cool and it's definitely worth seeing. And I think it succeeds more than it fails. One that I think we can all agree on, and now there are two versions here, Buck Rogers in the 25th century. 
that actually was a movie first, and then they made that into a TV series. Now the movie's got a different ending than the TV than the TV pilot does. I loved Gil Gerard's Buck Rogers in the 25th century. I can't be the only one who grew up watching that, right? Uh, it's uh, to me, it's the sort of same kind of movie that I would watch as a double feature with like Flash Gordon. Like it's just a lot of fun. I haven't seen it since I was probably 10 or 11 years old, but I just recently discovered Flash Gordon, so I'll probably be watching the uh, Buck Rogers movie pretty soon again, too. But yeah, just very colorful, very campy, uh, in a very good way, and just, just heaps of fun. Not not the kind of the kind of movie that, if they tried to make it the same way today, it would be too tongue-in-cheek and too self-aware and, and just making fun of itself too much. That movie, for when the time that it came out, it's a it's a genuinely fun, colorful film. The type of film that we don't seem to get nowadays. So I really appreciate it for what it is. And Aaron Gray could not have been hotter in that uniform. Good God! <laughs> I always had a thing for uh, was it the princess? The, yeah. the 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 evil yes. the, the, chick the, the, that was the, the evil princess and her bodyguard Tigor. Yeah, Tigor. <laughs> I had his action figure. She was always trying to like bone Buck Rogers, and he just wanted none of it. And I'm like, you know, and even like I I saw it in syndication. You know, some I, I don't even remember exactly when, but uh, I just loved it. And uh, I was like, oh my god, you know. Even then, I'm like, this girl's beautiful. What are you doing? I knew exactly what he was doing. Never stick your dick in crazy. Stick your dick. In, you know what? But yeah, you can go to another planet though you know like <laughs> um i also i liked hawk too hawk was awesome uh, uh, hawk was in season two that was no hawk was terrible oh uh, come on no the best part though mel blank as the voice of tweaky well it was it was tweaky and then dr theopolis uh because dr theopolis was the the bling that he wore around his neck but yeah, I mean, it's just so uh, just so fun and full of like just goofy, interesting characters and uh, just a, a great a great series. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think I ever saw the movie per se. I probably saw it as it was broken up into like, you know, two episodes or whatever when it was in syndication. But uh, just a, a great fight. Oh, what was the um, I'm just now all these episodes are flashing through my head. Now, let's talk about the other two big sci fi movies from this year. And that would be, for some reason, Paramount decided on, on two different counts that they had to compete with Star Wars. They had to come up with their Star Wars. So first you've got Moonraker. You know what can be our Star Wars? James Bond. That didn't work at all. I remember Moonraker being super fun as a kid. I loved it. I watched it every time it came on. Caught it on Laserdisc in the late 90s, and I went, wow, is this fucking dumb. Not a fan. Uh, Roger Moore is uh, easily my least favorite James Bond, and um, I, don't, I feel like it doesn't hold up all that well. And just James Bond with space and science fiction, with with Roger Moore as campy as he is to begin with, it's just eh, it's odd territory. Like I feel like campy sci-fi works really well with like Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers, and even like the original Star Wars and stuff. But with with Roger Moore as James Bond, who's already as campy as shit as it as it like starts out to be like putting him in space is just ridiculous have not seen it in a very long time well then the other big one is star trek the motion picture now star trek the motion picture was an answer in a couple of different ways prior to star wars paramount had been trying to revive classic star trek because see even though star trek was kind of a a ratings disaster back in back in 66 through 69 it was discovered in syndication in the 70s 
and the ratings were amazing. So they were trying to make Star Trek called Phase 2. And then Star Wars came out, and they're like, you know what? We can't do this on TV. We can't compete on TV anymore. We got to go movies. And it took them a few years, and they eventually made Star Trek the motionless picture. (laughs) A boring piece of crap. This movie is almost two straight hours long, and there's maybe 40 minutes of story in this thing. This movie is all beauty passes. It's all, I mean, they'll sometimes go five straight minutes of just showing the ship flying through the cloud. And I bet in 1979 on a big screen, you went, wow. Watching that at home, you go, fucking do something. <laughs> how, many, how, how many different beauty passes of the ship do we need? Now, in a way, and I think he's a great director in a technical level, you hired Robert Wise. The man that edited Citizen Kane and directed The Sound of Music. Did you really expect a fast-paced movie? I like the Star Trek motion picture. I mean, it is it is slow, and uh, it does do a lot of uh, establishing shots that go on a tad too long. But overall, like, I just like it. I mean, no, it's not Rathacon. I mean, I think that Rathacon was, uh, I don't want to say overcompensating for the slowness of the first one, but I felt that that was kind of what they were they were going for. Now, Rathacon is still my favorite Trek movie. Without, uh, with, well, with, without a doubt. We, well, of the of the original, uh, you know, the original uh, cast, it, it is excellent, and uh, I think that uh, the first Star Trek is good in its own way. It's slower, but it's I don't know, I just like it. And the funny thing is, I'm not really uh, a huge fan of the original series. I like the original series, but I am way bigger uh, of a fan of Next Generation. But you know, I didn't grow up with. You know, with the original one, it was before my time. So I think that that kind of factors into it as well. But I still I still enjoy it. I think it is gorgeously shot, but boring as shit. And that's I mean, I think it's a good way to establish Star Trek into its uh, own cinematic universe. It was a good establishing film. I think they really just wanted to show off the massive uh, scale of the model they made of the ship, show off all the detail of that, because that thing was huge. The, the model they built for that movie was massive, and I think they really wanted to get their money's worth out of that. And hey, it looked great, sure. They sure showed a lot of glamour shots of it, but hey, we got to show it off. Wrath of Khan, of course, that's also my favorite of the of the Trek movies. And as far as that goes, I think it's just one of those series where the sequel that ends up really drawing you in. It's one of those rare times where the second film is much better. But I do appreciate the first Star Trek for what it is. I think in terms of how to shoot a, a science fiction film right, they did it very well. It could have had some more... Uh, flavor to it sure but as a way to establish star trek into its own cinematic universe it it works there are other genre films that came out this year some really damn good ones you also have stuff like david cronenberg's the brood which is not my favorite david cronenberg film obviously we'll get to that in the 80s but it's a damn good film you also have other weirder kind of science fiction ones like meteor sean connery and carl malden and henry fonda and martin landau all trying to blow up a giant meteor that's about to hit the Earth. In other words, it's Armageddon back in 1979. The interesting, I don't think it necessarily works as well as they wanted it to, but like time after time, where you've got Malcolm McDowell chasing David Warner through time as Jack the Ripper. Great idea. Don't think the movie quite works out so hot. Science fiction wasn't just space stuff. There was also ideas as well. 
I think those are all uh, all very cool. I really I do like the uh, the brood quite a bit. And Meteor is a uh, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember really enjoying. And, and yeah, we had other other forms of science fiction and science science horror. I mean, with Alien, you've got the science horror aspect of these space truckers getting getting attacked by something. And you've also got the lower budgeted stuff like Prophecy, where it's it's sort of the more dangers like environmental dangers and using mercury and sawmills and you know genetically altered bears and fish and stuff like that so that was another another cool uh, concept concept film and i like that we had both of that we had both sort of the straight science fiction and um fun goofy science fiction if you enjoyed moonraker or buck rogers the more straight laced stuff like star trek and sort of the more horror based stuff like alien uh, brood and and prophecy the uh, the mutant bear one the non-spacey sci-fi, well, stuff like, I mean, Prophecy uh, does lean more in the horror direction and a uh, lot of fun. Uh, I mean, I did a video on it a while ago and... Uh, I, I can't take the movie seriously after the sleeping bag scene. I just can't... Oh, God, the sleeping bag scene is hysterical. <laughs> and the sleeping... It's, it's meant to be funny, though. You know, you can't not have, you know... That that scene is totally meant to be the laugh for the. I mean, the little little kid looks like a giant banana, and he just gets yeah. flinged and poof and and, and, and feathers that, go he's everywhere. Hopping. He's, he's hopping, hopping before that. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the funniest things ever, like put to film. So yeah, something like that yeah. was just hilarious. But yeah, the, the prophecies is great uh, as far as uh, you know, come uh, as far as uh, well horror ish sci fi. Well, the non space related science fiction um you know god well, well warriors kind of no is uh warriors is exploitation which i'll get into in a little bit but mm-hmm. okay you know you, you mentioned horror there were a lot of good horror m- movies out this year now we're still not quite up to the slasher genre but you've got a couple of really great straight up horror films some people would call the brood a horror film it, it, it is to a degree you also have great ones like phantasm which while I don't think it's the best film in that franchise, just like with Wrath of Khan, I think Phantasm 2 is the better film. But Phantasm was an amazing movie for 1979. And then you also have like Tourist Trap, the Charles Band movie, which I don't necessarily think is a great movie, but I appreciate what it tried to do. And then you have arguably the movie with the most awesome stunt ever committed to film in the same movie as the most chair-wrenchingly horrible scene i have ever seen in my life and that would be zombie 2 aka zombie by fulci that eyeball scene i still can't sit through as an adult yet the shark scene (laughs) is the best stunt ever committed to film like whenever whenever you're watching a movie and somebody does something to an eye that just sets off something just it makes you squirm uh you know there's that uh there was uh, another movie where uh, somebody shoved like a, a um like a, a, a poker through somebody's eye just anything with eyes oh the the um the scene in thriller where um thriller the the they call her one eye they hold uh the girl down and he cuts her eye, but they got an actual cadaver. Yeah. Or, 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 or later yeah. on, again from Fulci and New York Ripper. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, the, 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 the straight, straight razor, razor across you. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. The, Ooh, oh. Zombie's brilliant. I, I love zombie. That is uh, like uh, it's it's a tough call uh, be, for me between that and Dawn of the Dead as to like what is the better zombie film, because they both do what they set out to do excellently just in different ways uh there's yeah zombie or um 
Dawn of the Dead is such a great like survival film set amongst you know the zombie world whereas zombie is such an incredible zombie film because it has so many things in there like you said the the shark versus zombie the uh the the eyeball thing the shark versus zombie alone just the way it's shot it's not shot realistically it's real it's yeah yeah that's not like you know that that's not a a fake shark there's a real shark and the zombie is <laughs> like, like, I feel, I'm like, how did they convince somebody? All right, we're going to put you in makeup and have you wrestle around with a shark. Are you going to do what? Like, no, I'm not going to do this. And just so many. All right, well, what we're going to do, we're going to set you on fire and have you throw out, thrown out a window. Uh, okay. Uh, is, is this safe? Uh, it should be. Like, <laughs> but yeah, they, I mean, they managed to do that. Um, the girl who lays down uh, unexpectedly in the grave and the zombie that comes out of that, which was the zombie that they use on the cover is just amazing. Uh, the, the mm. ending is phenomenal uh, just cause you're like, Oh, right. There was that zombie that they found in the Bay in the very beginning of the movie. And this is what happened while they were gone. Uh, just, yeah. uh, you know, incredible movie. Um, yeah. I, zombie is just so good. I really got to do an episode on that. That is such a freaking awesome movie. I, I love it. It's, and it's, terrifying and it's still scary and the music that do yeah ooh, oh that perfect. is one of the best uh one of the best orchestral slash uh, synth scores i think a defining um exploitation synth score like a lot of, so many composers ripped off um that one uh i like tourist trap um it's silly but it does have a very creepiness to it especially because it's just the the weird mannequin things and uh the whole ghost house vibe um i know apparently uh because they put it out on blu-ray but evidently uh people were all up in arms because uh charles band cut some corners and it's not like the real it's not the complete version of the film even though he swears yeah, up and down the, that it the, is the vhs actually has more footage than the blu-ray does it, i i think it's it's cool it's a it's a weird movie and uh but yeah oh and then going to phantasm phantasm is a movie that i started off the first time i saw it i was kind of laughing uh because it's silly with like the the little jawa guys and then it just gets creepy when the tall man picks up the coffin and just kind of throws it in the in the the hearse it's like right this isn't right <laughs> and, and then the uh of course the 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 spheres and so many ingenious things in that i just uh, i loved it and it got more and more creepy the more i saw it and uh, just a, a great cast of characters really interesting really unique vision for a horror film i mean this this yeah interdimensional entity that came to earth well those in general are are some of the best horror movies ever zombie to me again that's one of those movies that got me into watching exploitation films tourist trap super creepy phantasm again absolutely awesome combination of of different stuff because you've got you got sci-fi horror in there a little bit of paranormal horror you got some slasher horror in there very violent scenes with people's heads and start draining the blood and, and stuff like that really 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 awesome stuff we've also got other 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 great movies from that time like uh when a stranger called a lot of very good horror films to come out in 1979 that would end up being a big basis for the 1980s like like phantasm came out in 1979 but uh zombie is a very 80s film tourist trap again has as more of that sort of like 80s vibe uh to it and and just other other fun 
Italo horror zombie films. Like I believe um, Zombie Holocaust was being filmed at the exact same time in the same location as a Fulci zombie. And that's another really fun one too. Like this is a, it's a great era to go back on for, you know, not just, not just action, not just sci-fi, but some very great uh, sleazy horror films. Well, and then you also had two other key horror films that I think a lot of people have forgotten about. For some reason, both of these films have fallen into obscurity. One would be the 1979 Werner Herzog, Klaus Kinski remake of Nosferatu. And then you also had, I think, a very underrated Arthur Heller film, Nightwing, the Nick Mancuso film about the vampire bats. Mm. Nothing supernatural. Well, I mean, there kind of is with the whole Indian mysticism nonsense, which was so late 70s, but whatever. Nightwing and Nosferatu kind of get forgotten when people talk about the 70s horror films. I've seen the Nosferatu one, but I, I didn't realize it was from 79. The Frank Langella, John Badham, 1979 Dracula, which there's a reason people forget it. It's not really that good. It's... It's one of the most 70s Dracula adaptations ever. Frank Langella's <laughs> hair. He's got like the this late 70s man, or the white guy afro. And it's a very 70s movie that did not age well at all. I'm looking at a picture of it now, though, and yeah, I, I totally get what you're talking about with uh, Frank Langella's hair. That's just... That's that's so out of place. It looks like Blackula in whiteface. You had you had things like Breaking Away. You had Hardcore, which was supposed to be kind of a takedown of the porno industry. I think a criminally underrated film, The China Syndrome, the Jack Lemmon, Jane Fonda, Michael Douglas film. The funny thing about The China Syndrome is it came at just the right time, or wrong time if you look at it. The movie had been out in theaters for two weeks. It was doing terrible. Everybody thought it was just doom saying, oh, nuclear power is totally safe. This could never happen. Seven days after it opened, Three Mile Island happened. All of a sudden, there were lines around the block and China Syndrome was breaking box office numbers. Funny how reality can affect <laughs> the movies, huh? Absolutely. Um, and that's a scary film, too. It still holds up to this day because that's still a, a danger that's that's happening with uh, power plants. You know, that's that's something that could happen any any day at any time. It's a lot of stuff that you're dealing with there. A lot of uh, nuclear energy and stuff. Fantastic performance from Michael Douglas in that film. A movie that that much like Alien, very much holds up. Um, is very tense, very nerve wracking, and and yeah, the the reality of that situation of of that actually happening will obviously drive people uh, to go see it in theaters. I think we we talked about it in one of our uh, earlier episodes. All of that, all that, all that applies. The reality factor of it. The people who who go to kind of watch the movie almost as as like a cautionary tale or a precautionary tale, like what what to do in this situation, how much of a reality it is that something like this could happen. And I think that's that's why it ended up doing so well. As soon as the the real thing happened, people went to go see it, probably because both for the fact that you know it's reality is so much scarier than than fiction and also to kind of sort of feel a little bit better about it just because okay well i've gotten that out of my system i've seen it i can go home and kind of relax a bit both good timing and bad timing but but yeah a hell of a movie uh stuff like that can sway movie how reality will sway movies uh into if it came out at, at just the right point if if the china syndrome had come out 2 weeks later it would have been seen as exploiting the 3 mile island disaster well but then you also had ones like like hardcore the paul schrader movie which is a pretty sleazy film, yet I think doesn't... That's the George uh, George C. Scott one? It's the George C. Scott one, yeah, the Peter Boyle one. Yeah, that's like <laughs> that's terrific, though. Oh, it's a great movie, but it I, 
I don't like the place it comes from. It comes from the place of porno is evil and here's why it will corrupt everything in society. It comes from kind of a moralistic standpoint, which I've never really agreed with. So that's always bothered me about the movie. Yet at the same time, it revels in the pornography. So it's kind of sending a mixed message, you know? But it has that amazing scene of George C. Scott watching his daughter get railed and he's doing the, turn it off, turn it off! Yeah, <laughs> it's like George C. Scott's not known for subtlety. No, but but that scene is just awesome because it's like I don't think it's necessarily. Um, I mean, I think that Peter Boyle is the one who really sees porno as evil, and I don't think that George C. Scott is so much that it's evil. It's more so that his daughter is in this, like, because she wasn't just doing porno; like, she was on drugs and everything else, and he wanted to rescue her from that world that she kind of got trapped into. So. I think that that's more of what I got from it was that Peter Boyle was the crazy one and George C. Scott was using him as a way to help, you know, means to an end to help get his daughter out of uh, the situation that she was in. Speaking about porno, you also had Caligula come out this year. Now, Caligula, <laughs> Caligula was strange in a couple of respects that it was a hardcore porn starring Academy nominated actors. Now, none of them were involved in the hardcore scenes, but the film was made by Guccione, who owned Penthouse at the time, mm -hmm. and it was released as sort of a throwback to the porno chic era of the earlier 70s. I think the movie is goofy as hell, yet it takes itself so seriously. I don't think it's I don't think I don't think that Tinto Brass was in on the joke of Gore Vidal's script. Gore Vidal's script is clearly <laughs> satirical, but Tinto Brass doesn't shoot it like that. Yeah. So in a way, the, this movie does not work at all for me in the fact that it, it just, the porno is unerotic, yet it's supposed to be erotic. It's not like a Rince Dream movie where he's daring you to get a hard-on. They want you to get a hard-on, but it doesn't work. You don't get involved <laughs> in the story because it's so batshit. I don't know. To me, Caligula never worked. Caligula I haven't seen in a while. Uh, it uh, I know a lot of people love it. Uh, I enjoyed it the time that I watched it, but it is very odd to see uh, all these really high-profile actors just acting the hell out of the movie. And uh, and then it's like, oh, wait, and then there is porn. What the? What is this? Oh, wait, we've got to stop to fist a horse. Yeah, it's like, huh? I mean, but it's got like like the, uh, God, I don't even know what the hell to call it. The big <laughs> lawnmower scene. Yeah, yeah, the big you know? lawnmower head cutter offer thing. Like it's just so much like bizarre stuff, and I, I love the um the the one thing where the guy was like, if I could give my life to Jupiter, and then uh, McDowell's like, Jupiter accepts, and he and, and he has him like executed, like just just <laughs> a lot of great moments like that. It's it's so weird. Um, I know there is a um. R-rated version out there that has the the porn removed, and I think in that case, kind of is like how Thriller is, where you know the movie itself is good, and it's very odd for them to have that stuff in there, and it it makes sense for it to not be there. Caligula is fantastic, and it is also the reason why I can't get into Game of Thrones, and I'll explain why. It's because it's it's one movie with all this ridiculous stuff, and it's, it's setting place during this time when there was a lot of debauchery and a lot of violence and a lot of really over-the-top shit with these mechanisms that are these giant lawnmowers that cut off people's heads, and people are dying left and right, and families are getting killed. 
I can like Caligula for the reason that it is one, two and a half, almost, this is a pretty long movie. It's almost like three hours, isn't it? I think um, it's like 240, yeah. Something like that. Whereas Game of Thrones is that for an hour at a time, all the time, episode per episode per episode, and it loses its novelty and it ends up getting annoying by how hard they're trying to shock you. Caligula works perfectly for me in that sense because it's one film, you get everything that you need or even stuff that you didn't need out of it with ridiculous lines, ridiculous set pieces. It's so grandiose in scale, yet ultimately it's a high-budgeted super porno with really, really graphic violence. I mean, God, you just got ridiculous lines like, oh, so you like little boys? No, sire, big boys. And just he puts the cherry on top of the guy's ass after he's done uh, pegging him in front of his wife <laughs> on their wedding day. Fucking uh, Malcolm McDowell laying in his bed drunk going, Long Jinus, bring me Long Jinus. Like, what the fuck am I watching? It's just, it's two, uh, two, almost three hours of unadulterated madness. And because of its runtime and the fact that it's one movie, it works perfectly. And it's exactly why Game of Thrones doesn't work for me because it's completely desensitized me to how ridiculous it is. That the movie's kind of batshit insane. There were some other great batshit movies that really almost defy classification that came out in 79. You've got one of my all-time favorite movies, The Visitor, with John Huston and Glenn Ford and Shelley Winters and Lance Henriksen. And it's a batshit insane movie that everyone has to see. I know people are going to think this is weird, but I think Apocalypse Now is a batshit movie. I mean, you've got surfing to waves created by bombs. You've got you've got the insane ranting of Dennis Hopper and Marlon Brando, and yet I still think Dennis Hopper out-insanes him. You know, you've got movies mm-hmm. like that. You've got A Force of One with Chuck Norris and Jennifer O'Neill. Tell me <laughs> that's not an insane fucking movie. You've got Absolutely. hair. You've got the musical hair from Milos Forman coming in here. Skate Town USA capitalizing on the disco and roller derby trend. Who remembers Skate Town USA besides me? You've got Rock and Roll High School with the Ramones from Roger Corman. Insanity. And then you've got Yeah. And you've got a movie that shouldn't work and the but the reason it does is it plays it so straight and that's the Muppet movie. <laughs> the Muppet movie plays completely straight and that's why it's so good. The, yeah, uh, the just so much weird shit. The, uh, uh, the the Muppet movie, the the Muppets have kind of especially ugh with the the new uh, things, the the Muppet and then the the CGI Muppets things that are out now that are just uh, not good. Uh, I always liked the original ones, but I couldn't like the other ones weren't particularly as good as the first one. Uh, but uh, that was that was one that it was great. Oh yeah, uh, rock and roll high school, and even even the um, even the, the sequel with Corey Haim is terrible. Or no, Corey Feldman was terrible. The, the, yeah, rock and roll high school, the original with the Ramones and all that, just a bizarre ass movie. Yeah, that that was crazy. Apocalypse Now, it's kind of um, it's another one of those war movies that's not really a war movie. Because I think a lot of people will, you know, will go in expecting like a Saving Private Ryan movie, and you are absolutely not going to get that. You're going to get Colonel Kurtz, and and uh, just and you're going to get Larry Fishburne. Yeah, that's how he was credited. He was he wasn't Lawrence Fishburne yet. He was Larry Fishburne. Well, you you had other lighter insane movies 
from this era. Like I said, Skate Town USA, you had Golden Girl, which isn't necessarily light because it's got a message of drug use and all that. But then who the hell remembers Chomps? C-H-O-M-P-S. Do you guys remember that this was the Valerie Bertinelli live-action Hanna-Barbera movie about a robot dog? Who besides <laughs> me remembers even seeing Chomps? I don't. Uh, I know I know Chomps in name only. I've just I've never surprisingly never seen it. Okay, what about Meatballs, starring oh. this relative unknown named Bill Murray? Oh God, yeah, Meatballs I is awesome. Me- yep, I've seen Meatballs. Are you ready for the summer? And then you you had some pretty good bombs in 1979 as well. Movies like Spielberg's 1941. In all honesty, I enjoy 1941. I think it's a very well-made movie, and I think for what it's trying to do, it works. Mm-hmm. I can see why audiences did not respond to this movie in 79, though. 1941 was a major bomb. And then you had other ones that people forget. Have either of you ever seen Americathon? No. No. It takes place in the future where John Ritter is the president of the United States, America is broke because all of the Arab oil sheiks, very late 70s, bought up all of the property of America. So to pay off all of their debts, they have to hold a telethon hosted by Harvey Corman. The entire thing is narrated by George Carlin. It's got an all-star cast of comedians, and it's one of the least funny movies you'll ever sit through. George Carlin literally <laughs> said it's the worst thing he's ever been involved in. <laughs> I mean, who the hell besides me even remembers Americathon? This is why you're special, Josh. Mm-hmm. In quotes, right? <laughs> Another batshit one. City on Fire came out this year. Not the one you're thinking of. The Canadian TV movie with Leslie Nielsen about about a wildfire rampaging through Vancouver. Am I the only one who's ever seen that City on Fire? Or you've even got stuff like The Warriors. Really, The Warriors is trying to be a serious movie, but it's not. Look at the gangs with the roller skates and the baseball makeup, and you can't take the Warriors seriously. It's a great movie. Don't misunderstand oh, awesome. me, but it's not a serious film. Oh yeah, it's 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 exploitation fun for sure. It's a it's an exploitation movie that got a lot more exposure and ended up getting a fan base pretty much right away. It's one of those giant cult films. You know, Walter Hill's direction is great. So much awesome color and shadows in that film, but. It is pretty hard to take it seriously because, yeah, you got these really colorful gangs. Some of them are almost uh, equatable to, like, Adam West Batman villains, like the Baseball Furies and stuff. But it's just so much fun. It's it's one of those movies, like, like again, it's one of those films that got me interested in watching uh, exploitation cinema. It was stuff like that and Lloyd Kaufman films and Zombie 2, like, this was the kind of stuff that really launched me forward into wanting to watch more of that because I wanted to see more films that had, you know, these cool shadows and these great colors and these really like over the top uh, bombastic flamboyant characters with with a cool rock based or synth based uh, scores. And God, the Warriors just just had all of that. Can you dig it? Yeah, <laughs> The Warriors is, is well, War Warriors. The Warriors is just fantastic, and the the whole you know Warriors come out and play a uh, creative, uh, unique, original. But you cannot say serious. 
No, but it wasn't meant to be really serious. It was, I mean, if it was like real gangs, it wouldn't be quite as entertaining. But because it's just so outlandish and over the top, it makes it that much more entertaining because you're <laughs> you're wanting them to be able to get out alive and, uh, you know, try to find out what's going on. And just such a, a kick-ass movie. I really, I got to watch it again. I haven't seen it in a while, but uh, just a, a really kick-ass movie. Well, and then this year also had Am I the only one that remembers American Graffiti even had a sequel? Nope. I don't remember that. More American Graffiti came out this year. But Lucas didn't direct it, right? It was a whole... It actually didn't... If I remember correctly, there was not a lot of people from the original that came back. Actually, Cindy Williams, Charles Martin Smith, Ron Howard. Yeah, they all came back. All right, well, fuck me sideways. So, yeah, <laughs> it's just it was a bomb because nobody wanted it now. <laughs> yeah, it didn't have the same effect as it did with the original. The original was the original. I think American Graffiti, I think, is a fantastic movie, but it was also timing. I think it just came out at the right time. And then we got to talk about the one the one movie we haven't Kramer versus Kramer. This was the movie that killed everything in 79. Number one box office draw and and just swept the Oscars. Personally, I don't think it's that great of a film. It really plays fast and loose with the facts of the real case, too. It's, like, well-acted and everything, uh, but uh, it's it's a movie that you can you watch once, and it's really all you need to. I have honestly never seen it. I've never really had any interest in seeing it. I don't even really know what it's about. Okay, so the, the top ten box office for 1979 were, in order, Kramer vs. Kramer, The Amityville Horror, which, as we discussed in the retrospective, was, you know, a monster hit. Rocky II, Apocalypse Now, Star Trek The Motion Picture, Alien, 10, the Blake Edwards movie, The Jerk, which is a shockingly funny movie, Moonraker. Oh, the Jerk is great. Oh, wait, why, why is The Jerk shockingly funny? Well, you don't like Steve Martin? It really Old only... Steve Martin was great. No, 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 oh, he was. But it really only has one joke that it runs through the whole movie, and it's Steve Martin that makes it so funny. Yeah. Okay. All right. No, I thought. Okay, that's that's fine. No, it's I really, just I was, it's, it's I was really, just curious. It's, really, it's not that well written or very original, but it's still really funny. Well, mm. it's kind of like how um, Uncle Buck is. John Hughes had said that uh, I believe it was John Hughes uh, had said that the movie was what it was because of John Candy's performance. And the same yeah. thing with the jerk is that it's if if it was another person doing that, it may not have worked. It probably wouldn't have worked as well. But he does such a good job of playing the son of a poor black sharecropper that it ends up working and I'm being in hilarious. The Well, and then we got Moonraker and the Muppet movie. I think the Muppet movie is a surprising one on that list because it, it is good, but you really wouldn't expect the Muppet movie to be that popular that it made $65 million in 1979. Yeah, wow. And then Muppets. Big. Kramer versus Kramer basically swept the Oscars. It won hmm. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Screenplay. Holy 1979 shit. was Kramer versus Kramer's year. There's no hmm. way we can deny that those really great films overpower the not as many great films that came out in yeah. So it, it's a great year in the fact that so many key films were released, but it wasn't a great year overall because any year that has Skate Town USA in it cannot be considered a great year. 
79 as a whole had uh, a lot of really amazing, influential movies. It had a lot of creativity. And I think that uh, having just awesome movies like Mad Max and Rocky II and, of course, Alien, it set the 70s out on a high note. As far as like some really great genre films and genre-defining films, 79 was awesome. I mean, The Warriors catapulted the whole exploitation, you know, gang film kind of thing, just just that skyrocketed with, you know, stuff like the Bronx Warriors and you got Mad Max, you know, w- with all of the all the random Italian exploitation, dystopian post-apocalyptic movies, you got Alien and then all the the Corman knockoffs that followed other really classic films, you know, you got Apocalypse Now, you got uh, Escape from Alcatraz, Rocky Two is just awesome. Of course, Zombie Two, you know, so many again, it's a genre defining and genre film defining year. Like we may not have had all of the biggest movies, but I think as far as uh, movies that came out that really influenced and inspired a lot of filmmakers down the road for, for years and years to come still to this day, we got some real classics and some real cult films uh, that still hold up to this day and will will still keep holding up as time goes on. Well, see, now now we're done with the 70s, so the next time we'll be going into the 80s, which I think is the best decade for film. Th- there's a weird thing that we're going to have coming up. The early 80s didn't leave the 70s behind. And I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, ex- I'll explain that when we get there in, in a week or two. So in the meantime, where can people find the original bro Zerker himself, Peter? Uh, you can find me uh, occasionally lounging about on uh, YouTube, the Cinemasochist. You can find me very intoxicated on Twitter, at Cinematica. You can find me making some updates here and there on Facebook, the Cinemasochist. I've, I've got some episodes in the wings. I am doing some writing. I am uh, compiling some stuff together. Hopefully, I'll be putting out some more videos a little more frequently since uh, life is not as insane for me as it has been for the last month and a half. Cecil, where can people find you being wrong? You can find me being correct at escapistmagazine.com as well as goodbadflix.com and Twitter and Facebook. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. Contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, next time we go into the 80s. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold.
intoxicated by thee She has the slow sensation that he is levitating with she Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.